Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Film Squawk. Hello, all of our 1,000 listeners. We are going to look back over 2018. Right, Stacey? That's right, Rochelle. Cassidy? Correct. So in 2018, we podcasted about 12 distinct films. Specifically, we chose films that centered on women. Women behind the camera and women in front of the camera. And a lot of times, women at the pen. Or at least we tried to find them. Mm. Some of these choices were wild successes. And some were less so. We even had many films we hoped to podcast about but didn't get to either because of release dates or because something else came along that sparked our interest. But even the films that we didn't enjoy sparked a different type of conversation. So let's consider some yays and nays for this year in podcasting, our first year in filmic podcasting. Ladies, what would you say were a couple yays for this podcasting experience for you specifically over the last year? Being a part of this podcast uh, really helped me focus and hone in on my experience watching these specific movies. I can totally get passive sometimes when I'm consuming film, even when it's great film. So personally for me, it was dedicating the time and putting the intention uh, behind the analysis of these films because I learned, like you said earlier, the films that I'd watched and maybe it wasn't the best viewing for me by myself. When I came here, I learned something new by talking about it with you two lovely women. So that was a big yay for me is what I learned. My yay is going to piggyback on Stacy's a little bit. Um, I think this podcast taught me that consuming a lot of media is okay. I consume a lot of it. I like movies and TV, but um, yeah, it instilled a certain sense of pride, I feel like for me when going to the movies and also yeah I prior to this podcast never really analyzed film in such depth I think it's also helped me develop more of a versatility as far as what type of movie I am willing to go see now or willing to give a chance and I completely agree I completely agree with both of those statements and both of those yays because I felt those two I experienced uh growth and development Uh, a widening of my preferences, not because necessarily what I'm enjoying has changed, but how I'm enjoying has changed or continues to evolve. And something that I will take away from this last year is the respect that I have for all the other pioneering podcasters out there who are working uh, with no money to promote their their perspective to a degree, but also become a part of the conversation, whether it's revolving around art or around film or around other forms of media, books, etc. When people come together and want to talk about um, relevant today happenings, but then they're forced to buy the book or see the film, invest the money, wait until release dates arrive, um, counter millions of other reviews and look for original content, things that maybe haven't been said in that exact way because they weren't said by you. I just, I'm going to walk away from this last year with a lot of respect for, you know, all the, all the pioneering podcasters out there. 
And moving into the new year, that's the challenge again. It's fresh, it's new. We're still working with release dates that don't maintain, that change. Our plans can only go so far. But like every other podcast out there, we figure it out, we do it, and we have a really great time in the process. Yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's the segue for NACE. You know, we have been navigating release dates the best that we can. And we've been making some plans that didn't come to fruition that are real bummers for me personally, uh, films that we had wanted so badly to talk about, like The Quiet Place, and it just didn't work out. Um, But there are only 12 months, and we're only doing this once a month, so there are plenty of films being left out. But yeah, for me, the nay from this last year and, and probably moving forward will just be the constant realization that, oh man, we can't talk about all the films. It's a really fun nay. (laughs) Mine is different in context, I feel like, a little bit. And my only nay is that the sheet was pulled off from over my eyes, and I realized white guys write, like, everything. And as a, a writer or a collaborative writer, I feel like when I sit down to write something, I my first thought is, what experience do I have that I can personally draw from? And white guys, no offense, white guys, like... Yay for you. You're fine. (laughs) Um, All the best to you, white guys. But uh, I feel like they sit down and they're like, hey, what's a crazy experience that I have no idea about that I could completely take as my own and write about? Um, And I think the Oscars this year also just kind of put a nail in that coffin for me, especially coming off last year's Oscar season, which felt very independently driven and just the diversity of all the films that had been nominated. I was more excited about the selection last year, I suppose, um, and the social justice part of Hollywood that came to the forefront of film. And then this year, I feel like it kind of got backhanded a little bit. My nay is similar to both of yours. It's related. Um, One, I agree that there was so much film that is excluded from our podcast because of the nature, the filter that we're using to examine film through. Um, and it's also about white guys because my favorite film was not on this podcast. So we couldn't talk about it. And that's an interesting nay to have because it had nothing to do with women. And it was about a white guy written by a white guy. And I just have to hold that. <laughs> Which me. is fine. White guys, you're doing great. So that's an interesting nay. All right, gentle listener, we reviewed 12 films this year. In January, we reviewed Molly's Game, directed by Aaron Sorkin. In February, Winchester by the Spirit Brothers. March, A Wrinkle in Time by Ava DuVernay. April, Isle of Dogs, Wes Anderson. May, Tully, Jason Reitman. June, Hereditary, Ari Aster. July, Ocean's 8, Gary Ross. August, 8th grade, Bo Burnham. September, The Tale, Jennifer Fox. October, a Star is Born, Bradley Cooper. November, Suspiria, Luca Guadagnino. December, The Favorite, Yorgos Lanthimos. So, Stacy Cassidy. Of the 12 films that we reviewed this last year, which was your favorite and why? The film or the podcast? <gasps> Ooh. Well, that <laughs> is like I had thought of that. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, then I have two. <laughs> Fine, deal, top two. Top deal two. With that. Well, I have a favorite film and I have a favorite podcast. Great. I wonder if they're the same. Ooh. 
Okay. okay. Stay true was, to your own. It was really we'll hard okay. for me, favorite film between the favorite and eighth grade. But it, eighth grade for me was my favorite. It was my favorite. And this is interesting in regards to my nay because it's a story about a young girl written by a man. I love you, Bo Burnham. <laughs> we all love you, Bo Burnham. Love Doing you. it right. <laughs> Tremendous um, ally. Seriously. He was just so, I feel like that age is such a fragile age, and he handled it with such sensitivity and compassion and mm. nailed all the awkwardness on the head and also did this amazing comedy through his cinematography. Blow, job, banana. Mm-hmm. Ingenious. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was my favorite film (laughs) my favorite podcast I think was Suspiria Mm -hmm. Um, yeah that was my favorite podcast as well when I watched it I was like okay like I enjoyed it Mm -hmm. and I didn't leave the theater being like oh my god what a cool movie I was like "Mm." and then it was this like slow burn yeah that one cooked and then we started talking about it and suddenly my nips were out and I was like (laughs) yeah You did. You did that exactly. It's true. Go listen to it. I make that exact. <laughs> um, so that's me, Cassidy. Well, yeah, we caught interview. the we caught the fever. Yeah. What's the spirit? We caught the fever, and we got to talk about gross baby hands. <gasps> gross baby hands. <laughs> oh my god! I forgot about that. Those were gross. What was her name? Marcos. 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 I was like, Maud? <laughs> I love that name. Not that so name. <laughs> Not that name. What about you, Stace? That was definitely, I was going to say the same thing. That was my favorite podcast was Suspiria because it was a journey. I learned a lot in that podcast and I'm so grateful for it. It enriched the film for me. Um, oh, and I'm struggling between my two favorite films, though. And I guess I'm going to land on the favorite um, as far as a package deal with that movie, um, I feel like I tapped into every emotion. Uh, I laughed, I wept, I felt everything in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a film, I was so surprised by the favorite. Um, but it's tough because the tale is, oh. it's hard. It's hard to like, I feel like we're choosing between children with a few of these, like the tale Tully and the favorite. And it's like, what's my mood today? What's my favorite film today based on my mood? That is a, a factor in my decision making sometimes. So I'm going to say the favorite mm-hmm. with hesitancy, like <laughs> rising intonation at the end. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> well, and five of the films that we podcasted about ended up in my top 15 letterboxed year end list. So... Ultimately, my top film, my highest ranked film on that list is A Dark Horse. Uh, I have a really hard time explaining why I love it so much, why it affected me so much. Uh, But Tully, it it got at issues that I hadn't seen explored. Womanhood, motherhood, mental illness, and the ways that we cope as women. Uh, nothing had ever affected me, no film before had ever affected me like Tully did. And it's number five on my top list for the year. And that's why I say it's a dark horse because it's just like people will be like, Tully, what? And that's why I think personal experience with film is so much more precious. Yeah, so I'm, I'm very thankful for Tully. And so that was my favorite film that we 
that we covered, but my favorite podcast was also Suspiria. That's so cool. Such a good I podcast. Have, like, I'm thinking about all of the films we watched right now. Love I want to just say I wish the Oscars would have a category for non-theatrically released films. Yes. Because the tale mm-hmm. got fucked. It did. Yeah. It is the best autobiography or biographical piece I think I've ever mm-hmm. seen mm-hmm. with the some of the toughest subject matter. So I just wish that there was a category to shed some light on films like that. Because mm-hmm. why not? Like, you know, they're doing small theatrical releases now that then go straight to streaming platforms. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's just something the Academy will move towards if the Oscars survive. <laughs> right. Is is The Tale the only film that was directed by a woman? No, Ava DuVernay. Oh, yeah, Ava. As you were reading the list, Rochelle, I was like blown away about uh, how many of these, you know, female-driven projects were directed by men. Not a new discovery. We've been having this conversation the whole time, but hearing it listed there was sort of a a punch. I was like, what? Well, and after last year with Greta being nominated as a Best Director, I just feel like Hollywood kind of misled us last year a little bit. They were Mm -hmm. like, yeah, we're going to change. Just kidding. Best film, two white men, don't let the black lady talk. Go. Well, I think the extensive best mm. film category is a joke. I th- I don't know. It it doesn't make any sense to me. I do like how they pepper through the entire award ceremony more in-depth looks at the films that are being that have been nominated and will be honored in some capacity just because they were just because they were nominated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, having so many films nominated for best picture I think is fake just it's not real Mm -hmm. there are films here that will never win and i don't understand why you would put individuals in a category if they have absolutely no hope of winning in the system that is currently capitalism but that's my answer for everything for all the problems (laughs) in the world is capitalism (laughs) (laughs) so what was your your take stacy cassidy gave us a little a little nugget on her take of the Oscars this year. What was your take? It was a letdown as well. Um, there were films there that were excluded that I was bummed about. Um, and then the big awards, well, the biggest award confused me. Um, Green Book. Green Book. Green fucking book. What the hell? Um, it won for best original screenplay as well. That's asinine. I think that's bullshit. Yeah, um, I just don't know how to feel with it. Stacy, go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, I had a hard time with this year's uh, because I don't think it had anything to do with craft and study. Um, it felt political. It felt uh, who knows who, you know. And I don't know the inner workings. I only know a little bit of the whole process, but it did not it did not feel like the exemplary films of 2018. Some of them made it in there. Um, but it was a big letdown. I think it was doomed from the beginning. Not I mean just the fact that the host fiasco, fiasco yeah. occurred. It was one thing after the other. Doomed from the get-go. And I feel like with an event like this. When you have 
the whole country at least kind of paying attention to mm-hmm. it loosely. Mm-hmm. I don't know for you gentle listeners at home. <laughs> gentle. Genteel listeners. Uh, yeah, but I think they kind of screwed themselves from the get-go with the whole Kevin Hart thing, mm-hmm. which was also interesting in itself. Well, everything. Then there was the popular film category <laughs> that everyone reacted to, and so they're like, never mind. And then there was the, we're going to cut out the most crucial elements of film. Of film, like the thing that makes film film, we're not going to show those awards. And then everyone got upset and they're like, never mind. Oh so God. it's just, it really was a shit show. It was a joke. And all on the tales of last year, where they promised that things were going to be shifting and changing, it'll take time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It didn't. You can't all wear black and talk political for the entire Oscars last year and then get up. And not have a hope. Like, I don't even know. I guess that thought was just completely pointless. Yeah, and maybe there's a a unity that was happening behind the scenes, and that's why there ended up not being any host, because from the seats, the nosebleed section, it seems like there was so much unity last year and then so much disunity this year. But perhaps because we know nothing (laughs) about what's happening there, uh, in Hollywood with individuals who are choosing not to step up as host or whatnot, whether it even needs a host or not. I had a fine time, no host. I had a fine time until the end. But, you know, Julia Roberts is awesome. She was Gotta love her. Oh, man, Julia. she handled it. Well, <laughs> Took it like a champ. She's like, I guess it's over. Uh, <laughs> well, look how pretty like, my smile is. Yeah, well, didn't she say something like, say hi to my kids and Bradley Cooper's mom? Yeah. <laughs> it was... Wow. It was almost as bad as the Warren Beatty incident. Which at least had a happy ending. Yeah, like that made me less uncomfortable for some reason. (sighs) That was an emotional. I don't know how it made me feel less uncomfortable. Maybe because you could see the remorse like on his face as he was realizing what was going wrong. And this this year's was just like, well, (laughs) fuck off. That (laughs) sucked. Bye. (laughs) Well, okay. Uh, I guess it's over now. Confusing. Cool. Confusing. Same for you, I'm assuming. Definitely. Definitely. Because, you know, we had this gorgeous opportunity this year. You know, it wasn't going to be perfect at all. All of the instances you just mentioned, not having a host, these categories either being added or being removed, and then at the last minute, it not coming together. Ridiculous. But on top of all of that, we had this really beautiful opportunity to make it somewhat right somewhat right for the first time i believe ever having best foreign film win best film of the year and roma oh my sweet roma i'm biased because it's my favorite film of the year but that in and of itself could have done so much now alfonso cuaron walked away with some of the best awards of the night definitely and much deserved inarguably if they had won I would have loved to see Cold War take an award because that was the night's dark horse for me because that's just, it's just so beautiful. It's achingly beautiful and mm-hmm. it's so underrepresented, but so was First Reformed. We've got so many films that I just, I loved in a very new way this year that were completely absent or minimally acknowledged. And we have films rising to the top specifically biopics that are not accurate, that are winning major awards. Families are upset at how their family members, their ancestors are are being depicted because no one referenced them. You see the remorse 
on Mahershala Ali's face while he is accepting his award for Best Supporting Actor. Or I did. Maybe I'm reading into it. But, yeah, I, one thing after the other. And then instead of changing history, I agree. They decided that they needed to slap us in the face. They were like, wait a minute, America's racist still. <laughs> Here you go. I mean, that's kind of how I felt. Here's the salve to all your racism. This is what you wanted, right? You wanted two white men to write about a black man's experience during the height of civil rights, at least in current history. And then you wanted <laughs> that white man to get up and give all the honor to the white man. To Vigo Mortensen. To Vigo Mortensen. And not, not let anybody else speak. Cough, Octavia, cough. It's, it was unbelievable given where we're at in this conversation on such a large scale now. This isn't, this is the main topic of conversation. And I can't believe that happened. I, I can't believe Octavia was standing there the whole time. She didn't even try to move to the mic. There was a lot, there was four men that had to get the word in. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not surprised at all. I find it funny because I literally just sat back in my chair, slouched, and felt <laughs> sad. I know. Like, we're having this great time. Mm -hmm. Wonderful podcast. Get a review of the year. Beautiful films this year. Had a magnificent time. Viewed more films this year, like, collectively than I had in a long time. And then I sit back, and I'm so sad. Mm -hmm. The energy in the room when <laughs> it was announced that Green Book won was devastating Spike Lee was like yeah. bye <laughs> well and but even just the room I was in Stacy's mom oh. was she goes oh I threw my pen across the room and and Neil's just over there nodding Stacy's husband's just over there nodding because he somehow he started calling it from like quarter of the way through the night it just hit him like oh he my knew. god Green Book's gonna win. Green Book's gonna win. And I'm like, like don't no, even talk to me you right now. Crazy. You're ridiculous. This is 2019, brah. No, that's how I felt too. I watched, and so did Rochelle. We both watched Green Book the day of the Oscars. Exactly, just to get it in. But like, it's exactly what a white audience wants to fucking see. To say that they're not racist. Yeah, exactly. So, and it's a feel good. That was the that was yeah. everyone's response too from it. Said, oh, it was a feel good movie. It's like no. That's irresponsible. I wonder how John Lewis felt being there. So John Lewis is a representative from Georgia, and he was a part of the Big Six leaders, and that was the group who organized in 1963 to march on Washington, and Martin Luther King was a part of this group. John Lewis, I believe, is, one of, is the only uh, surviving member of the group, and he wrote a graphic novel called March... Oh, depicting, March. yeah, depicting his experience. Um, and they also did they would ride buses in Alabama, just like trying to get black people out of segregation in the Deep South is, was their purpose. It was horrific. They had to add in President Obama's presidency story into this graphic novel to make it tolerable to the reader because it's so brutal what was happening to these black men and women during that time. And he was there at the Oscars. Oh, I didn't know he that. was there. Yeah, he went. I think he presented. I can Google oh. that too, really quick. Oh, you're right. He yeah. did. He did present. What, what did, did he, he present? I'll find it out. 
Oh, you, John Lewis introduced Green Book. Yes, that's at, what I thought. He introduced Green Book at, as they were looking back on it before the award was presented. So as Correct. as they were going through the show and showing different clips um, of the nominations. And man, I wonder how he felt. I felt uncomfortable as he did that because it, I don't know. I don't even know how to put that into words. There's something about the muting insidiousness that is Green Book because I found it extremely tolerable, very palatable. I was like, oh, that's so much better than I thought it would be. It was like the first thing I said. And my partner goes, well, yeah, if it had been made in, in the 90s, maybe it could have done something. But we're beyond this. And I couldn't agree more. But the what stands out to me is just how much of a feel-good film it is, how palatable it is. And that really makes me nervous. It's one of those things that makes me really look back into myself and think what what socially placed norms am I drawing from and feeling the, the good vibes from I, regarding because of this film, because of how it was laid out. I, I don't even I don't even believe that Ollie's depiction has turned out to be accurate, that he that that man Don Shirley? that Don Shirley was that disconnected from the black community. And I, I read articles about his family's response. And so I, I, you know, I think to myself, is that why it felt palatable that I could watch them in this interaction? And then how does that make me feel looking back at Vigo's character, talking to this black man about how much more black this white guy is than this black man. And it's, and then I think, should I even be talking about this right now? <laughs> so it brings up a lot, and I, it's not something I think that brings up a lot, even just for me in, the, in this white community, but there are plenty of other white people who are shocked and horrified. Well, it romanticized inherent racism is what it did. It took that like piece of Americana and all the good little pretty bits, and then it romanticized inherent racism with, as Stacy likes to remind us, with Green Book, The White Savior method well and they made him italian he's italian and so that doesn't even necessarily relate to the majority of individuals that are dealing with racism right now and i'm just that are watching this film that are dealing with it that Mm -hmm. still have it yeah sure there will be people who are italian that are racist but there are a bunch of other individuals who do not identify um as immigrants in any way, shape, or form, who do not align with any other culture except for American culture that that totally, essentially whitewashes racism for, mm-hmm. I believe. Oh, oh, American culture is white. Is whiteness is white as normal. Yeah. I just read an article about the, a black woman wrote, and she talked about how she goes and watches white rom-coms. Uh, Mona Lisa's Smile was the film she was referencing because with the lack of black people there's the lack of civil rights issues and inherent fucking racism in our country and that to her makes her feel comforted and it's a way to like shut out the world essentially and shut out the problems <laughs> that being mm-hmm. black it's true. brings yeah. into the equation wow. and I guess for me I'm just tired of seeing not that I want to see like a brutal depiction of racism, but like get realistic with it. You know, I don't know. I just and I know Green Book is based off of a true story. Um, yeah, to me, it just felt like really candy coated 
and romanticized for where we're at right now in our country and kind of the dangerous climate that's going on with race to candy coat something like that and kind of put it in a box of like like Pleasantville almost mm-hmm. seems like such a disservice to our entire country right now, especially with Hollywood being at the forefront of social justice issues, at least in that conversation on a national level. WTF. If Beale Street could talk, that was the film. I haven't seen that. I can't even, and I can't even go there. Regina King, I just cannot even go there. Another, like the film that was shunned and boxed out. Confusing, so confusing, not confusing, but confusing. Yeah, it's it's people who don't understand what it means to be racist. That's what happened, is that people don't understand inherent, inherent racism and these biases that we hold within us. And so then they think that Green Book is not racist. Green Book gave when, them a nice racist pat on the back, when, like, you're fine. Yeah, like, you're the good guy. And it's if Beale Street Could Talk was just a beautiful story about love. That's what If Beale Street Could Talk was about. And so they had they had all of it there. It was all within their reach. So it's just indicative of where we, it's just a reality check of where we're at. Someone wrote on Twitter, and I wish I knew who said it. If it's you, I'm so sorry. You are not listening to this. But <laughs> I give you credit, you out there in the world. You gentle listener. This poster said... Some of Green Book's best friends are black movies. <laughs> so good. I remember reading that, I saw too. that too. <laughs> Whoever you are. Well done. Read our pot or listen to our podcast. Oh, well, maybe we should look forward. Let's look forward. I mean, yeah, let's do better this year, everyone. And I also had blind spots. You know, I did not end up seeing RBG. Really bummed at myself for mm-hmm. that. So I will good. see it. It mm-hmm. just I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen uh, the miseducation of Cameron Post. I really wanted to see that. Mm-hmm. Wasn't uh, that going to be one of our? It films? was, and I just we never we release never got date. it. The yeah. release date didn't work out, so that's unfortunate. But you know, another film I missed out on that I really wanted to capture and see before before Oscars uh, was Hale County this morning, this evening. Mm-hmm. Very much wanted to see that. I, I really didn't do very well with documentaries uh, this year at all. At all. Um, I saw At Eternity's Gate, and I loved it. Oh, my God, Willem. But otherwise, I, I really dropped the ball. Mm-hmm. I actually saw all of the Best Picture nominations, which I didn't realize. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, so did I. I, did I managed to see them all, too. I missed um, Shoplifters. Oh, and like so just the trailer alone, I'm dying to see that. And Beale Street are the two main ones that I still want to see, and the one about the Polish dancer, Cold War. Cold War, Cold War. Yeah, mm. I would like to see oh, that. Oh man, and I will. I'm with you, Rochelle. I will see these at my leisure. I didn't see the wife. <gasps> I wanted to see it. And I really wanted to see it. I did see it, and it's good. Uh, <laughs> um, and I didn't see it at Eternity's Gate. Um, Oof. Mm. I, I know one. I'm blind spot. I wanted Defoe to win. I know that's that was the feeling in the room, and that oh. was my feeling as well. Even though I hadn't seen it, but everyone I trusted had seen it and felt that way. Um, but everywhere else, I did pretty well, except for the shorts. The shorts, I always if I don't go see that, 
at the Pickford where they have right. them all together. They're tough to find, though I did see one short documentary, period, end of sentence. It's Ooh. on Netflix and it is good. I do want to see that. It's, I haven't seen that great. either. 20 minutes. So good. They really were good. And I saw the dumpling one too. The like bow, bow. bun. Bow, oh yeah. Bow. yeah. Yeah. I'd seen that one as well. Um, I love when the creator, 26 year old woman, I believe got up and said, I can't believe a movie about a period just won this award. So good. It was so good. That was delightful. It was yeah, it's a good one. Mm-hmm. It's worth watching for sure. It's also interesting just in our own schedule how many shorts that we screen going into Oscar season because mm-hmm. we pre-screen for other festivals. And so I feel like I get kind of numb <laughs> as we get close to Oscar season because right. we've just been inundated with so many short films, Yep, which is a personal problem. That <laughs> so, I'm sure all of you have. So Everybody you has all this have problem. This problem. So we'll let you off the hook this year for the shorts. So based on this last year that we've had in podcasting and navigating award season, trying to stay caught up, considering film in our new way, developing, growing, being challenged, how might you see your experience and relationship to film changing this year, 2019? Something that affected me in... The Breaker Uppers podcast episode was something that you said, Rochelle, about how clear it was that the community surrounding that project was really strong. And that's what made the film so special. Um, We just completed filming our first feature film this past summer of 2018. Um, And so uh, those two things, I think, are really going to affect the way I view film forever now. But the community piece is something that really stuck with me from that episode. It's something that I'm going to take into account, um, the idea of community surrounding film and our own community that we built to create film. Um, That's going to change the way I look next year, for sure. I mean, to be literal about it, my film experience will shift in the sense that I'm going to be red boxing a lot of these movies (laughs) this year. Thanks a lot, Movie movie Pass. pass. Cassie's upset. I'm so sad. I mean, it comes back. Yeah, my experience moving forward with this podcast circles back to my nay about this year, which is actively seeking movies that are, like Rochelle said at the very beginning, it's hard to find written by women, directed by women, or, you know, people of color, marginalized people that are actually telling their own stories instead of being like, hey, I'm a white guy. Let me tell you a story for you. I could do it better. I'm tired of that. And I'm tired of, yeah, just discovering that and the way that podcasts, there were some podcasts over the last year where I thought I liked the film until we analyzed it. And then I realized I did not. And a lot of that had to do with the content or the subject matter and who was behind producing that subject matter. And the changes I see moving into 2019 are are a little bit of all of those things I'm on week 25 of Letterboxd season challenge for 2018-2019, so I'm spending a lot of my own time watching films that I probably should have seen or have always meant to see. Each week I, I view a different film, and that in and of itself helps me shift my focus and shift my viewpoint in in looking at the films that are a priority for me. Of course, our podcast is regarding new film, and so specifically this year I'm just freaking out. I'm so excited to experience what Olivia Wilde's going to bring with us 
through Booksmart, what Claire Denis is going to bring to us through High Life, what we're going to get to see from Elizabeth Banks and Charlie's Angels and Greta Gerwig in Little Women. Stacy, you said it. You know, this 2018, we had two women directors. And that is a, a seismic shift that we're working toward for 2019 is to feature the women who are now finally getting to move forward and direct their first feature films or their second feature films. And so, yeah, maybe the Oscars let us down and maybe film season and award season is just not, it's just not the best representation of what's happening on the back end because yeah, we didn't get to see women in black this year or women around walking around in white representing um, change but we're going to get to see literal change in front of our eyes and we're going to get to speak about it together this year. So fuck award season. I'm so excited for the craft that these women will be churning out for us that we finally get to nosh down on this year. Maybe Crotalk will have to have its own award season at the end of next year. Oh my word, that would be amazing. Wow, now there's an idea going to plant that seed watch it grow thank you for listening even if this is your first podcast hopefully this will pull you back to some of the others that we were able to finish up last year we've got a lot more coming this year and you know we're just getting started yeah i'm dancing in front of the microphone and you can't Ooh, tell we need, like pop, can you put music pop, behind pop, us Ooh, pop. Yeah. music music is behind tell us. your friends about our podcast rate it give us five stars do it do it now please and we appreciate you this has been a talking to crows production okay can we be done now <laughs>